It's time to eat. What are you hungry for? Sit down and get ready to consume an abundance of fantasy football knowledge from Ross Tucker and Joe Dolan. Eat me now! I'm starving! On the Fantasy Feast Eaten Podcast. Yeah, let's eat, baby! It is the Fantasy Feast Eaten Podcast, and today it is presented by BetQL. You know why? Because I don't know that much about betting on the NBA, the NHL, Major League Baseball. That's where BetQL comes in. You know, I'll brag next week on the Even Money podcast about how well I bet on the NFL last year, really over the last four years. But these other sports, I need help. BetQL gives me the help. They've got algorithms. They probably were designed by a guy that went to Cornell, like Chris Harris, today's guest. Here's the deal. They scan hundreds of data points to give you the best recommendation for every game and give you the reasoning behind why you should place that bet, which is awesome. You can also either get the app on your phone or go to betql.co and enter code ROSS20 for 20% off your first payment. This is the Fantasy Feast Podcast. I am Ross Tucker at Ross Tucker NFL. And for the first time in 2020, I can say the show that's so nice, we do it twice. It's August, which means two episodes per week. You heard Joe Dolan. Here's of Dolan on Wednesday going over the quarterbacks, which was awesome. The new Tears of Dolan song was incredible. So here's how we'll do it. Every week, we'll have one episode with Joe doing his tears and another episode with an outstanding guest. And you don't get much more outstanding than Chris Harris from Harris Football. A lot of you already know his awesome show, Harris Football Podcast. I was on it on Wednesday this week. You should follow him on Twitter at Harris Football. He's got the daily podcast this time of year. And he's got the awesome YouTube page as well. And I'm very happy. First week where we're doing two. We're like, uh, who is it? Ernie Banks, let's play two. First week where we're doing two, Chris. And you're my guest. Happy to talk with you, my friend. I'm honored, as always. I love being on your show and uh, love being first up. And thank you for doing my show as well. It was a lot of fun and lots of positive feedback a couple days ago. And let's do it. Yeah, so people, by the way... Want to check me out? I had some strong offensive line opinions on Chris's show. Check out his show from Wednesday, and you can see exactly what I had to say, or at least hear exactly what I had to say. I guess, Chris, I'm going to ask you a a, a question. I think every fantasy expert, every fantasy analyst like you, who's created this unbelievable almanac that people should check out, talk to me about COVID. No minicamps, no OTAs, no preseason games, limited practice time. What is that doing to your personal fantasy rankings, if anything? I mean, you never want to totally overreact and say that you know what one-size-fits-all rule applies to every single situation. But of course, there's pressure I mean, you said it on my show better than I'm going to say it here. Like there's pressure for continuity that places where there's continuity among 
offensive lines among quarterback wide receiver tandems among running back offensive line tandems. I think you at least view that as a tiebreaker in favor and players who are getting into new situations and having to deal with it with a very limited amount of practice and no mini camps and stuff. Of course. I mean, I I wouldn't say that means you don't draft them. I wouldn't say that means uh, like they're, they should be downgraded four rounds a piece, but there are going to be some situations I think where players get worked in slowly. And that's certainly to say nothing of the rookies who don't really even know what it means to be in the NFL and haven't, work with strength and conditioning coaches the way that they're going to eventually in their careers and just probably aren't mentally fully prepared. And, um, and yet there are going to be some rookies I'm into because of, I think they're really talented and I like their potential situation. So no one size fits all rule, but I think I would say rookies and players in new situations have somewhat limited upward mobility in my ranks. So when you were going through the almanac and you were, breaking down the video that you watched this offseason and ranking players. Yes. Was it was the COVID stuff a constant in your brain and and you legitimately thought of it for guys in new situations, rookies, etc., when you were ranking them? Or is it more, hey, let's not go too far with this. It's really just a tiebreaker. So more or less, was it a conscious thing or is it just tiebreaker for people that are trying to make decisions? I think I probably veer more towards tiebreaker, but I would, I would say in some cases I go, okay, Stefan Diggs, you're going to Buffalo. I think you're a hell of a player. I would, you're going to a situation where the quarterback has potential, but is, you know, it's got also obvious warts and a couple of years worth of film. It would have been better to have a full preseason. It would have been better to have a full training camp. It would have been better to have mini camps. Uh, and so it was probably for players like that, it was in my mind, maybe as a little bit more than a tiebreaker. Um, good players, you know, good players, people who are extremely good for the NFL tend to be able, okay. They tend, even if they start a little slow in the first couple of weeks, they tend to be okay. Uh, so, so in a lot of cases, I might be thinking, oh, let's not overreact. Let's think of it as a tiebreaker. But depending on the player, depending on where they're winding up landing, depending on who else they're playing with, it, it could be a little bit more of a factor than that for me. All right. Let's talk opt-outs. And right. truth be told, because of some scheduling issues for me on my end, we're recording this Wednesday afternoon. So we are exactly 24 hours Right. from the deadline for NFL players to opt out, but we're posting it on Friday because we already posted Joe Dolan's podcast today on the Fantasy Feast, and we've got Greg Cosell tomorrow on the Ross Tucker Football Podcast, so I wanted to have something Friday. Chris Harris is my Finish Strong Friday guy this week, which I love. <laughs> so there might be more guys, Chris, in the next 24 hours that opt out, but – Based on what we know now, what have been your biggest takeaways from the opt-outs? Obviously, it feels like Damian Williams is the big one. Do the receivers opting out of Miami mean anything to you? Do all the offensive linemen, Solder and Cannon and Jawan James mean anything to you? What, What kind of has stood out to you or affected the fantasy prognostications for different players in the league from the opt-outs? Well, I can I can be very boots on the ground as far as this goes because I was putting out the almanac on August first. The first edition came out on August first, so that you know it was all written, 
And then we got the first week of people opting out. And the skill guys who opted out that first week were the really the ones that have been the biggest impact for our purposes for fantasy. You said it. Damian Williams is the one that required the biggest surgery to the document before I could send it out, right? I couldn't send it out with knowing that he had opted out. Uh, it's, it's funny, though. So I'll go through the other ones, too. But that's the big one. So maybe I'll linger a little bit on that one. Um, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire was already number 11 in my standard running back ranks before, even with Damian Williams in, in the ranks. And like, that was high. That was high for a lot of people. I would get a lot of questions on social media. Like, what are you doing? What do you know? Why isn't Damian, you know, and I, I actually wound up taking Damian Williams before he opted out in the middle or later rounds of like the fishbowl of a couple places. So I I liked him as a hedge, but I still was all aboard on Edwards-Hilaire in that maybe early second round. So I didn't find a need to change my ranks once on him, once Williams opted out, because I felt like I was already kind of high and there was only so high I was going to get this kid who, again, is a rookie and never played in the league and we don't really know and other guys might get worked in. The biggest effect there for me was DeAndre Washington, uh, Darwin Thompson, who hadn't made my top 80 running backs. They both found their way into the top 60. And since Williams has opted out, you know, I'm constantly doing industry drafts, right? Asked to do industry drafts or mock drafts or whatever. There's almost one every day. And I have found myself in the 13th and 14th round getting Washington and Thompson and just being like, sure, we're all taking lottery tickets then anyway. Let's see. Maybe it is a little overly optimistic for Edward Solaire to be going so high. And even if I don't take him, say, in the second round, I have found myself just stashing those other two Chiefs running backs. And then it'll, of course, turn out that Darrell Williams is the guy and I was wrong. But uh that's the big one, right? That's the major effect. The Dolphins receivers that you mentioned, they don't really move the needle. I think you could argue Devin Funches moved the needle just a little bit um, because he was in line to maybe be the second Packers receiver, but I don't know. How how much are you really ready to go back to that well again? It, it makes Alan Lazard a little bit more of a late-round sleeper. The offensive linemen are obviously very important. It's hard to quantify exactly how that impacts the skill guys on their teams. Frankly, the defensive guys. The Patriots have lost a lot of guys on defense. That that defense looks a little less, draft, less draftable now. But for me, Williams really has been the guy. I want to go back to Clyde Edwards-Hilaire for a second. Sure. You said you had him ranked number 11 in your standard running back rankings before Damien Williams opted out. Did. Where did you go after that? I didn't. I didn't move him. I felt like that was that was the ceiling. That was the peak. Um, I have Derrick Henry ten because I'm not I, I'm not a huge giant believer in the huge giant Derrick Henry, uh, and I, I I can't get Edwards Lair above him or the likes of say Nick Chubb, Joe Mixon, Josh Jacobs. That that's kind of the group that I just like better than than the unknown. I recognize that. In a Mahomes offense, potentially as the sort of Maurice Jones-Drew receiving type back, he's got unlimited upside, but he also has the downside of being in some sort of weird three-man, four-man platoon for half the season. Uh, So that was as high as I could get. Any of the offensive line, like if Jawan James opts out or Marcus Cannon or Nate Solder, any of that enough in your mind, Chris, to move any of your rankings or do you look at it like, Hey, they could have torn their ACL in the second preseason game. This is part of it. You know, maybe it becomes a tiebreaker thing, but I'm not, I'm not moving Melvin Gordon or Saquon Barkley or whoever. Right. That's the latter for sure. I just don't think we're, 
I don't think we can draw super straight lines between the presence of one offensive lineman and knowing for sure the impact that is has on the player. It isn't probably good in the case of like, I mean, the Chiefs lose a guard who's pretty good, right? The, the, I mean, he's a doctor for heaven's sake. He's going to go fight COVID on the front lines. But, you know, there, there's a chance that's a problem. It's hard to know until we see them play. My heavens. I mean, you know better than I'm ever going to know in my life that it's all about how they gel. It's all about how offensive lines work together. And it, I mean, frankly, even if those guys didn't opt out, it would be tough to know exactly what they are. We, we do our best. We try to intuit. We, tr- we look at the personnel. But every year it feels like it's kind of different. As soon as you start juggling personnel, I mean, offensive lines can really rise and fall. Look, look at the Rams last year. You know, from two years ago, it might have been the best line in the league. Last year, there was no COVID. There were no obvious injuries to start the year. And it, by the end of the year, they got a couple injuries along the way. But they played bad consistently and it's tough to know why uh so so no i I didn't move ranks based on that one of the things i love about you is you actually watch the tape you actually watch the film i guess we call it video now i don't know it was always (laughs) film or tape when i was playing or even before that um so you have you spend a couple months at least in the off season studying guys that you want to really identify and find out about and so, you know, we were emailing back and forth, and you gave me three guys that, man, you, 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 they shot up your rankings after you watched them this offseason. And three guys who you were kind of worried about after you checked out their film. Yeah. I want to dive into them because I think it's important, not just for best ball drafts right now or people that are getting into their season long redrafts. But even for DFS, you know, you start to get to DFS. I want to know what the film actually showed you. Of course, DraftKings is our partner on DFS, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Safe, secure, reliable. You can deposit and withdraw your money at your own convenience. And they got DFS. So you should have two DraftKings apps. You should have the sportsbook app using code ROSS, bonus up to $1,000, you know how to do that. Then you should also have the DFS app, and you can also get a bonus there as well. So this will be our sponsored segment, Chris, where we will dive into your three you love, three – hate's probably a strong word, three you dislike, <laughs> as my grandma probably would say. Three you dislike. You don't hate, Ross. You strongly dislike. Um, so it's interesting uh, – all three of the guys you liked, I felt yeah. the same way about. I actually, the first one is Deontay Johnson. I called a game of his two years ago when Toledo played Nevada, and I watched him the week before on tape against Miami. He lit up a very good Miami secondary, like lit those guys up. The rare Mac player that actually leaves school early, and he did some good things last year. Yeah, a hundred percent. There's nobody. I, I listed him first on that list because there's nobody. When I went through the almanac process of, I watched basically, you know, something of everybody. And then a, a lot of players I watch a lot of, especially the guys who were just finishing their rookie years. There's nobody whose rank I improved higher, more elevated, more than DeAndre Johnson. By the time I was done with the process, it must've been 30 spots. I don't want to go crazy. I still have Juju Smith-Schuster significantly higher, but I don't have Juju in my top 15 wide receivers. Um, and maybe that's partly because he's an impending free agent and there's a question about 
how committed to him they are and do they maybe want to make the offense go in a bunch of other different directions, but also partly because I think Deontay Johnson is going to be a really good pro maybe doing a decent, a poor man's Antonio Brown impersonation. He has that kind of long speed. He, there's no doubting the long speed on film. It's funny. James Washington on that team has the reputation of being the sprinter, right? He's the, he's the one who's real fast. And yet, and he made some plays downfield. James Washington had a nice bounce back second year, but it seemed like every play I saw of James Washington down the field was 50-50 ball and he's strong and he just kind of fought for the ball. He wasn't really open. He didn't really run by anybody. I don't think his play speed is that fast. Whereas Dante Johnson, I mean, come on. It's obvious. All you have to do is watch Steeler film. He's such a burner. I think he belongs to that conversation of like, why can't he eventually be Tyler Lockett? Why can't he eventually be Antonio Brown's a potential Hall of Famer? Maybe we don't go there, but you know, the, the T.Y. Hilton type, the small, fast. I think he's quick. I don't think he's maybe as quick as he is fast and just sort of heady, like knows what to do. And I, I like it when guys, I mean, Roethlisberger wasn't there, but I like it when guys have the wherewithal to produce and figure out a way and take a, a lateral or take a, you know, a handoff in the backfield or a throwback pass or something like that and be able to give you a little bit of yards in a situation where the quarterback probably isn't a pro level player. Uh, so Deontay Johnson, I think is a well, is a going to be a good, you need the Steeler offense to be good because he's probably the number two receiver. But if it is, I think he's got a chance to outperform where you draft him. Totally agree on Deontay Johnson. Uh, I also kind of like Devin Singletary, you know, having watched him last year, the Bills running back. And these are guys that you and I know about and probably a lot of listeners know about as well. But a lot of the, I don't want to call them casual fantasy folks, but the folks that don't really get into it till this time of year. They're not household names. These are guys they should keep in mind for DFS during the season on DraftKings. Talk to me about the Bills running back. So it's funny. I'm with you that like he's not a household name at all because most Bills players are not a household name. And yet on the other end, it feels like he's getting short shrift in the people who do what I do for a living. There's a lot of excuse making for why people don't like Devin Singletary this year. And it seems to revolve around, oh boy, you know, he didn't get any carries inside the five last year. Josh Allen steals a lot of them. And then Frank Gore last year stole a lot of them. They took this kid, Zach Moss, out of Utah for, uh, he's a bigger back potentially to take the Frank Gore role and maybe even be, you know, Frank Gore's a little bit slow by now. So uh, maybe Moss is even a little bit better than that current day Frank Gore. And, and the feeling is, bah, I, can't, I can't draft Devin Singletary in the third round because I'm not going to get touchdowns. And it just feels to me like that gets proven wrong every single year. Who last year thought Aaron Jones was going to score 19 touchdowns? We can't predict short touchdowns. Like they come, they go. It's tough to say. Give me a running back who's just good. And Devin Singletary has that thing of he's not a big cat. He's not running over a ton of guys. But I'll tell you what, you better hit him square. Because if you don't, he stays on his feet. He has that weebles wobble and they don't fall down thing. Honestly, if I'm going to make a comparison between – Clyde Edwards-Hilaire and anybody in the NFL right now, I'd say it's Devin Singletary. I think Singletary was Edwards-Hilaire like last year. They're they're sort of a similar, like you wouldn't expect them to be as, uh, to be able to endure hits the way they do. They just don't take, they take glancing blows and they keep going. Um, there's a con- concern that somehow Singletary, because he didn't catch passes in his rookie year, that means he can't, I don't know. I mean, maybe they just don't want to give the kid all that much to do, you know, in his rookie year. He's, he's not an RB1. He belongs in the RB2 conversation, but I am higher on him than the market. And, and I just don't get worked up when there's a bigger back there who might steal short touchdowns. It might happen, but it might not. 
right, the, the last guy you have on the love list is Terry McLaurin. Wow. He yeah. was impressive. And, and you know, Chris, he was impress- impressive the first game against the Eagles. They couldn't cover him. First game as a rookie. And yeah. even with up and down quarterback play, he really produced. And they don't have a whole lot of skill guys other than him in Washington. Sure. Uh I, you know, I'm always somewhat skeptical of, of which is not the argument you're making. The first argument we made is that he's really good. And then the second argument is, but who else is there on the depth chart? I'm always like, well, if the guy isn't really good, I don't particularly care. They'll find someone else. Steven Sims will get, you know, 50 targets and, and will be, will be bummed. But the point is that Terry McLaurin is, is the truth. And, and I'm, I put him third on this list probably because I, he's the one I'm closest in lockstep with on the market. Right, but I have him. If I were doing it in the order in which I like them, I certainly am drafting Terry McLaurin before I'm drafting Deontay Johnson. I he he is a legit wide receiver too. He has the potential to be a wide receiver one for fantasy. I I could easily say maybe someday Deontay Johnson could grow up and be what Terry McLaurin looked like in his rookie year. He just he has that thing of a combination of really good deep speed. I think he's quicker than Deontay Johnson. He's extremely quick, and he's just got that look about him of coordination of just working his body to be where the ball is supposed to be thrown when the ball's in his neighbor vicinity of boxing guys out, despite not having a big strong, I mean, he's not a short guy, but he's certainly not one of those big physical guys. Uh, he, he's really has the potential to be fantastic. It's funny. I, you know, I watch every single game every single week. That's what my podcast is. It's just saying what I saw in games. And I loved that, uh, Rondé Barber got to do so many of Washington's games last year. Cause I feel like Rondé is really good. One of my favorite uh, uh, color announcers. And I I am always paying attention when Rondé latches onto a guy, especially because I'll hear him week after week after week. And he kept saying, this Terry McLaurin guy, this Terry McLaurin guy, he can't be stopped. They can't, they have to roll the safety his way. And it, immediately my, my radar is up. Like Rondé knows what he's talking about. And I gave him a second look and man, I, I think he, I, I said it, I think he's the truth. Let's get to some guys you're not as high on and people should stay away from at DraftKings, DFS, when you're playing this season. First one, I kind of noticed this as well. David Montgomery, the running back for the Bears. You know, first of all, I'm not very high on their offensive line. Second of all, you know, I know he wasn't a speed guy, but I was still expecting more last year when I watched Bears games. Do you remember, so opening night was Bears-Packers, that Thursday night game, and it was Buck and Aikman doing that game, and the first possession they gave, it was, a, I think, a sprint draw. I think it might have been a sprint draw left, and there was a yawning chasm for David Montgomery to cut into, and Troy Aikman watching the highlight was like, you're never going to see a bigger hole in the NFL. In David Montgomery's entire career, he's never going to see a bigger hole. And it's like he didn't see it or he couldn't make him make his feet change directions to cut up field. He, he pitter pattered three or four steps where you want one step and go. And in that very, it wasn't his first carry of his career, but it was close. And in that very moment, I was like, uh oh, <laughs> that's not good. We're, you know, we're sold this guy as a potential feature back. I would never try to tell you that because a player looked a certain way in year one that he couldn't get better. Cause of course he can. The Bears took him for a reason. I think they probably watched his film and were like, it can get better, dude. Like, it could probably get better. And I always go back. I think I may even send my email to you. Like, Le'Veon Bell's rookie year. 
he was a 240 something pound back at Michigan State. He looked fat as a rookie. He didn't look like he was ready to be a pro, frankly. And I remember that second year I was still at ESPN at the time. At that second year, I was like, who's Le'Veon Bell? What do I want him for? Well, he got in shape. He lost about 20 pounds. He didn't lose much of that power. And he was obviously phenomenal at that point. Like the hesitation and the quickness and the acceleration just he became a different kind of cat. So I, I'm not trying to tell you that uh, Dave Montgomery can't be that, but he sure wasn't that last year. And I think if you're in a, in a season long, if you're reaching for Dave Montgomery earlier than the fifth round, I, I he, he's got upside. I know people look at the depth chart and go, who, who else is there? And I go, yeah, it was the same depth chart as last year. He wasn't very good, was he? Uh, so I, I accept that a young player can get better, but there's a there's got to be a downside baked into where you draft him. Next one's interesting. I, you know, I, I haven't watched him that much. I haven't noticed it. Tyler Higby was a guy that that you're down on. So I'm down on him only because of how people are elevating him in drafts this year based on how he finished last year. So, I mean, he had an entirely strange year, and you can't really blame a guy for not getting much of a chance the first two-thirds of a season and then finally getting a chance and acting like his stat line was Rob Gronkowski. I mean, he was by far the top tight end in fantasy, in real life, in receptions, in yards, in all of it, in, like, second half of November and December, he won people a lot of leagues if they kind of latched on to him. So it's been kind of a default to say, well, that's going to carry over. And who the heck is Gerald Everett? And Tyler Higby's the man. And I, I don't think there's anybody who I lowered more in my ranks, at least relative to how many people we play at the position than Tyler Higby. I had him in my top 10 originally because I was like, sure. And then I watched exactly what it looked like on film. And I'll tell you, Ross, what it looked like was our offense is broken in L.A., our offensive line isn't stopping anybody. We can't really throw the ball down the field anymore. We better run, I don't know, you know, better run too tight end a lot. We better have a lot of extra blockers in there, and we better be ready with little safety valve throws to Tyler Higby. And it worked like a charm, and he made a bunch of plays after the catch, and it looked like, I don't know, like, uh, I'm trying to think, like Jordan Cameron. It, lo- it looked like uh, s- sort of, any every man play. I don't know. I don't want to say Darren Fells last year because Darren Fells is a lot bigger and a lot older and a lot slower and you know basically scored a touchdown last year. But it kind of looked like any tight end could have done what he did. Um, and so I'll, I'll say it could happen again. But do we think that the Rams' best offense is a two tight end? You know, kind of like smash them up, throw little outlets, throw little throwback screens to tight ends. Like that doesn't seem to be what Sean McVay wants to be. To say nothing of the fact that it all happened when Gerald Everett was hurt and and he'll be back. So I don't have Higby inside my top twelve tight ends. I'm not drafting him. The last guy we're going to get into uh, on our DraftKings avoid list for DFS is David Johnson. He got traded to the Houston Texans. I'll say this. I'm going to put this out there, a challenge, Chris. If any listener can find a run, I want to say the Arizona Cardinals were playing at the Tampa Bay Bucks, and David Johnson had a carry where he almost looked like he was in quicksand. Like, Mm -hmm. he looked like he could not move. I remember thinking right there, Wow, he is done. I mean, he can't run. It was, I can't remember the exact play, but like he wasn't moving. He was like, there was a hole there and he wasn't going. I remember thinking, like, that's about as bad of a run as you'll see from an NFL running back. 
So I'm with you. I know that the Texans are hyping him up. Uh, I saw even just that one play was highly concerning for me last year. Yeah, and and like all the caveats that seem to always apply to David Johnson still apply. I mean, he got hurt early in the year, so it's hard to know why he was doing an Alfred Morris tribute act as he was playing in the in the first part of the year. You know, obviously he winds up getting hurt and missing the second half and getting benched before he got hurt for Kenyon Drake. Here's here's what all to, to throw David Johnson supporters a little bit of love. I will say, in the receiving game, he still made some plays. When he was in open field and had a moment to sort of gather himself, he still has fantastic hands, great footwork on the sideline. He'll make plays down the field in the receiving game. He made plays only in the receiving game, really, uh, in the first half of last year. But yeah, there are too many runs on film that are just sort of unexplainable. Why are you so slow? You used to be pre- you, your acceleration used to be pretty good, and and until we know the answer, until we see him play in Houston healthy and looking like he used to look three now three or four years ago it's tough to value him the way you would typically want to value a guy who looks like he's got a pretty clear depth chart who has a really good quarterback who should have a passing offense that keeps defenses relatively honest and you're not going to have eight men in the box like there's a lot to love about the situation for david johnson but and and i'm going to be ready to say if i see him week one week two look like he used to look i'm going to be like well he was hurt last year now i know but i'm with you and there you have to bake in the downside risk that he's just flat out done and that makes him not someone to reach for like even in the in the neighborhoods he's an rb2 because let's face it there are 24 of those and you know start that many good running backs but you know he's in the lower part of the of the rb2 conversation for all the reasons you said at harris football on twitter youtube.com slash harris football the harris football podcast anything i'm missing chris I think that's it. Just fo- follow me on follow me on social media at Harris Football. You'll find out about all the rest of it. HarrisFootball.com. Yeah, just Google Harris Football, and I'll, all of your wildest dreams will come true. That's, my <laughs> that's true. Uh, Chris, great stuff. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Oh, thanks for having me. It's fun. It was fun being on your show this week as well. We got a, a double header this week. Ross and Chris. Chris and Ross. Hopefully, you guys enjoyed it. Next week, we'll get back into the tears of Dolan, that awesome song, and we'll have another celebrity guest like Chris Harris. Right now, though, I am stuffed. We're finished. Thanks for listening to the Fantasy Feast podcast. Make sure to also subscribe to the Ross Tucker football podcast, Even Money, Business of Sports, and the College Draft, all available at Apple Podcasts, RossTucker.com, or wherever podcasts can be found.